No, don't worry, you're not seeing double. But we're back with In For Black Eyes, guys. That was terrible, and I'm sticking with it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to In For Black Archive. I'm Owen, king of utterly terrible intros, and here's James. King of utterly terrible follow-ups. Hello. Um, hope hope you're well uh, this wonderful January. This is out, isn't it? It's like uh, late January time. No, I think this might be February. Are we really that far <laughs> Uh, might be actually because i'm fairly sure for the last one in january is ice warriors so this might be our first one in february cool right let me rephrase that hello people of february hope um omicron hasn't got everyone by now um if this is a lockdown then cool means we'll get might get viewership up We'll find out. Uh, yes, uh, we're recording this in not February. Uh, no, it's not February. It is the 24th of January, so we're getting close. We're getting oh, close to February. Ge- Hello to you all in January. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happened. This when is- you record a month in advance, you have no idea where you are anymore. This is what happens when we record on for 20... Oh, not when we're on for 20 years. No, we're not even uh, there. We're the 16th, the 16th. of December. So hello and welcome uh, to In For Black Archive. This is how we do intros. And today we're going to be looking at The Enemy of the World, where we have got a slight problem because we've got the Doctor in two forms. So um, Patrick Troughton stars as the Doctor, who is fighting the villain of the piece, which is Patrick Troughton. Uh, oh, yes. This is... Absolutely one of the trippier <laughs> classic who episodes I think we've covered so far for many reasons. Can I just say which though, are worth discussing? It's the first of the trippy episodes which were actually alright. It's not bad. It's kind of like it's kind of like the Ice Warriors again in, in some ways, but almost the opposite. Because I think what we had with Ice Warriors was a quite average story throughout, where like bits were roughly there. But with this one, it's either it really works. Or it really doesn't. <laughs> Can I also just say as well with this story, I've never mm. quite... Weird for me doing a review podcast. I've never quite understood the phrase all oh, that baddie was really chewing up the scenery. Have you never I understood think, that? I, I think I do now. After ah. watching Patrick Troughton be the bad guy. Well, yeah, Patrick <laughs> Troughton is... He went um... for it. <laughs> I think the best way to describe Patrick Troughton doing not the Doctor and doing an entirely different role is the only way I see this happening is that he was with the script people and they were drunk. And he said, you know what I'd really love to do? I'd like to play a man who is ostensibly Mexican and sort of insane. And they went, we will sort that out for you. Oh, and within it, the night, they had the script done. It, yeah, no, I... I, uh, this story had so many different problems, but I did <laughs> so many twists. But I did love um, Patrick Troughton playing the bad guy. Yes, it's nice to see. It's nice to see Troughton in two, and there's plenty of opportunities for Jamie and Victoria to have fun, although not in episode four because they're on holiday. Yeah. So, so shall we just get out for the initial bit of what did you think of this episode? Did it work? Um, it is, I think, okay. Because you have, like I was saying before about when you have Ice Warriors where a lot of it's average, this is bits of it you'll really like 
because they're sort of inventive and interesting and almost grounded in a way that's unique for whom we haven't seen in a lot of recent episodes. It's not the same base under siege thing for once, which I like. But on the flip side, there are some narrative decisions that happen here that really are like so off the wall where almost the second half of the story is completely jarring to the first half. And so whether it holds together as a whole, I don't know. But there's plenty of fun. Yeah, that... There's a lot going on in this one, which I think we couldn't say about the Ice Warriors. Even, yes, this is packed. <laughs> even if a lot of it made no sense whatsoever as we're watching it, it was still a bloody blast to watch. Yes, it is another It's another six-parter, Owen. So does this one actually justify being six episodes? Because I think it does. I think it just about does. Yes, I think. I I think it does. I think there are areas where they could have been a little bit more efficient mm. in their usage, particularly with the ending, because the ending is very cut and dry. You, you get yes. the ending and then you're done. It reminds I've, me of um, the season one Hartnell endings where, where everything would just be resolved in like two minutes and we'd be off. Yeah. It, I think the way, the concept of their ending made sense but it kind of just felt like they kind of just went oh look the end and then just kind of accidentally pressed the stop button yeah there might be you could say there are some issues with pacing but on but on the flip side i think it kind of works because i think that's where the narrative wanted to go and so the pace naturally was going to to and fro so i won't judge it too hard but anyway i mean we've teased all the stuff that's happening, like all this mad stuff, can you give a brief indication of where this all goes? The enemy of the world synopsis. So, as I pad for time here... As you think uh, of the synopsis. Uh, our TARDIS crew lands by the seaside, which the Doctor's very happy about. It's very weird, his entire excitement of seeing the sea. Um, he lands, they get shot at, they find someone called Astrid who takes them in, they t- discover which the Doctor is essentially a clone of Salamander, the big bad guy who wants to be the dictator of the world. Uh, we then go to someone else who shows them a tape and then we get stuck into a load of political intrigue which includes flying via rocket to the Central European Zone and I've completely forgotten that name for Australia, but Australia. Australasia. <laughs> Australasia, there we go. And then stuff happens. Um, Jamie and Victoria get captured. And then that happens. And they find humans in the pipe. Not even in a sense, right? Don't tease that yet. No, we're going to reveal that later. They find, <laughs> they find in the pipe. It's not, not even a sense, right? Joke this time. They literally find humans underground. Um, and then there's a big twist at the end, which thingy was bad all along. And Bruce is not that bad. And then... Yeah. And then there's this really quick ending. And then and then Patrick Troughton throws Patrick Troughton into the time vortex. This episode's just a bit weird. Beautiful stuff. Um, yeah, there is a lot to pack through uh, with this episode. There's a lot worth talking about, a lot worth mentioning. Almost a lot worth laughing about because there's some very interesting um, moments, <laughs> which I think to do with the production of this. So, where do you want to start character-wise? There's a lot of side characters to get through, but I think we can sort of 
go through them in a bulk after we do I, our main three. I think I just want... I don't even want to break down our companions here. I just want to speak to them as a blob. You'll probably as change this big, and yeah. go into them as individual characters. Slightly, but I can speak but about them in a group. They don't do much here. It's weird because I actually think there's a lot of there's a lot of Jamie McCrimmon moments that are up there with the best he's ever had. Yeah. In this episode, but I can, but on the flip side, he doesn't do an awful lot after episode one or two, but, really. But the, they have their entire plot point where Victoria and Jamie infiltrate their lair, essentially. Mm. But then after that, they get captured, they go on holiday, and they kind of just don't know what to do with them. Yeah, at that point, they just become pawns in the game. Like, Jamie and Victoria are sort of captured, then thrown here, then thrown there, then questioned, and they and then they're just sort of told, go back to the TARDIS, which they do. Like, they could have honestly been on holiday during the sixth episode as well and i would not have noticed mm. because they just don't after that their initial um infiltrating the base they just don't do anything i cannot think of after that point a single story thread which they play a major part in if anything actually they become they almost become nuisances to the story after the first two episodes where it just feels like they're bait for villainous characters to use that kind of it's used as an excuse to get the doctor from place to place. Yeah, like they go, "Oh, we need to rescue these people. We need to rescue Jamie and Victoria." But then we don't rescuing them really to just pretend to be Salamander. Mm. And then that's about it. Like, there's no. I don't know if they like yeah. didn't know what to do after their holiday or how to get them back into the story. It was weird, wasn't it? And the only reason the only reason that they ever did anything I still think's odd because isn't the whole plot at the start right? So essentially, if you haven't watched this episode, uh, the whole crux is that Patrick Troughton, the Doctor, looks exactly like this guy, like exactly like him because he's played by Patrick Troughton. He's sort of like a world leader who is improving farming or something, but is very nefarious and seeks power, stuff like that. So the whole idea is that in order to out him as being this bad person, they will get the Doctor in there. But the method of which they get the Doctor in there is to get Jamie and Victoria in there to do work. And the Doctor stays behind. I sort of understand that because it's a thing of if you've got this big... If you've essentially got the secret weapon of you've got the clone of a world leader, you Mm. want to keep that a secret? And you can't do... You can't send the clone into the same building where the other person is because then they might meet up and then your cover's completely screwed. So I do understand why they sent in Victoria and Jamie. I think it is justified. Particularly because mm-hmm. at that point the doctors are going, I don't believe you. I don't believe you, which you are the good guy. Can I just say, if only they put, they, they cared this much about it previously, like Galaxy 4 would never have been a problem. Um, yeah, absolutely. If they're um, immediately like, oh no, I don't want to do that. I need evidence. Yeah, um, Maybe they're learning. <laughs> but I, <laughs> Galaxy Four would have been over in about ten minutes if they'd have. But I understand why they went there. I still don't one hundred percent know if it was the right thing to do, but I think it still worked. And you and you get the the greatness of. There are two things I want to speak about about Jamie quickly. One, there are there are things he does that are just phenomenal at times. Like that character is so strong when he's being snarky. 
or wh- yes. whether he's like putting in a backhanded comment to somebody, like they're always bang on. There is a phenomenal joke that Jamie McCriven makes that needs to be spoken about right at the end where they're basically being smuggled out back to the TARDIS and Bruce, the commander guy, is like, you know, call this number, speak to my... I have a friend who's going to help me get out of here. Use the code word redhead. And he just goes, is that your wife? It's, it's just such a weird thing to butt in with. I know. And, and him and the Doctor are finishing each other's flute solos now. Can I just say about this? I, I only realised this when they were doing the flute solo bits. Mm. Where's the Doctor's flute been this season? It's not been there. Obviously, I can't, they obviously I, lost it. They lost it, I reckon, on set. I honestly cannot remember a time of a Doctor used for flute aside from in Power of the Daleks. Yeah, no, since then. I mean, I seem to remember that there were maybe in Moonbase it was there and maybe once in Evil of the Daleks, but I might be wrong. I want, I want more flute. Bring me more flute. Anyway, that's Jamie. Um, great when he's kind of doing so. Also, his fists are phenomenal because they, because I believe, isn't it, isn't it confirmed? Basically, they get chased at the start of this episode and he punches one of his sort of the hunters. Isn't it confirmed about five minutes later that he dies? I've just realised that. Are we confirming that, that Jamie... Oh, no, no, Jamie, no, he gets, no, he gets back up. He gets back up. Oh, I, I seem to remember that they sort of said that he was dead. No, I think I think they get up. I think they get up. I'm just going to... I'm going to consult the plot. Is that... Once you found out, is that all you want to talk about about Jamie? Do you want to be yes, on yes, Victoria? Yes, yeah. I am crossing it. Now, can't see it. Probably just misremembering. Yeah, let's, let's talk about Victoria. Um, we're still in that, what are we going to do with Victoria... <laughs> phase aren't we her main role is jamie does all of this swashbuckling stuff and then to get victoria and jamie sort of says to salamander look i'm on holiday but looking for a job my girlfriend's with me very pretty lovely um you should let her come in as well salamander agrees uh and she becomes like a chef's assistant which feels sort of vaguely gender roley can i just say her menu was utterly pointless she yeah went, she went oh we have soup Soup yeah. and then meat, meat. And, and then pudding, pudding, and then for the other guy went and then dessert and she went oh yes yes dessert and they're going that's 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 not a menu that's a pointing out of the essential things inside meals. Are you saying that soup is an essential than any meal? As 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 Dan proved to us, <laughs> yes, everyone needs soup. It's like uh, it's like when David Tennant gets um, gets healed by the power of tea. Yeah, in no, a recent um, episode that we haven't yet watched, technically because we haven't it hasn't gone out yet. It has gone out yet because it's going out in. January. It has gone. Look, it's gone out in your world. It hasn't gone out in our world. We live in. <laughs> but separate we have also recorded it though. We have recorded it, but it's not. We haven't published it where we are. <laughs> I do, I do love being in work. just like a different time zone recording me. <laughs> I'm struggling to work out what you're getting at because we have recorded it and it I'm is not getting going anything out at the same all. time. I'm mainly, I'm mainly just identifying the fact that our schedule's just like warped at this point. Um, just just to be clear, listeners, there is reasonings behind why we're doing it this far in advance. Yes, there are reasons. There are reasons. Yes. Anyway, so apart from that role, Victoria is even more passive. Uh, than Jamie, really. Yeah, I still, I'm still trying to work out what the core of her character is, other than just to stand there and look attractive. 
Yeah, because she doesn't. She never seems to bring anything to it. Like even in her first episode in Evil of the Daleks, I said to you, like, I'm not quite sure what she's going to bring because she just it's just for dambling distress. Hmm. Like I know last week I said that she was a bit of a Princess Peach character was the phrase I used. There is a little bit more development than that, but the only thing they've ever given for Victoria is um, that that her dad's obviously gone. Waterfield is gone and died before they left. But that isn't a character. That's just a sub story. And it's also never brought up again after the Tomb, Tomb of the Cybermen. I think it was. I think it might have been mentioned during Ice Warriors, like once offhand. Yeah, but, like, but, but even then, it wasn't a big mention. They didn't make a fuss out of it. So even if that is a character development, it's not being drawn up upon at all. The issue, with, I think, is that even with some of the, the female companions we had that weren't particularly good, there was still there were still active character decisions being made. Like Susan would make active character choices. Yeah. They they would sometimes be a bit weird and a bit weak and wouldn't make a lot of sense, but like she would make choices. I'm not sure what choices Victoria's character makes. And I'm there's not also, sure how she adds. Sorry. Uh, no worries. And there's also an element of, I don't understand what, outside of her travels with the Doctor, I don't know what her character does. Because, like, looking back at her old female characters, we've had Susan, who's the Doctor's granddaughter, she's got that element to her. So that's Barbara, fine. Barbara's a teacher who's who starts dating Ian and goes on and does more teaching. We've got Vicky, who's an orphan girl from a spaceship. She's very advanced. She knows all that kind of stuff. Mm. I don't know enough about Dodo to do one for Dodo. Polly yeah, is, Dodo is just kind of sort of a bit of London charm, sort of working class girl, speaks fast. And even then, we don't have enough of her stories to have a solid exactly. view of her. Yeah, And, and Polly then, was kind of similar. And Polly, we had the element of she is a typist, she's a secretary, she works in an office, she's very skilled at that. But then aside from saying which which Victoria comes from the past and is an orphan. Yeah. She's just sort of an ingenue. That's the only the only phrase I can think of. Or kind of like she's the sort of woman that if you were doing a period drama, the only time you would speak about her is sort of relative to the dowry that the male characters were offering. Yeah. There's not enough there to, to because you can you can make a character out of that. I mean, they've got the backstory in because they did it in Evil of the Daleks. So we kind of got our introduction. But since then, there hasn't been any further layering of the character. She just does the same old things and sort of says, is that safe, Doctor? Should we do that, Doctor? And doesn't really do any of it apart from just sort of stand there and watch. <sighs> it feels like she's only ever mentioned or brought into stories whenever the writers remember she exists. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Because there are moments like that when it just feels like, you are right, Victoria? Yes, okay. This is like we've checked on her. Now we can wait for two episodes and we'll get back to her. Yeah, but the thing is in this story is that it's not just it's not just a Victoria problem. It's a companion problem, really. Because, well, mm. yes, Jamie does have his fun lines here and there. Yeah. There's nothing really else there. Yeah, with the exception of him sort of breaking into Salamander's place, which isn't really explained, but they, but why not? Um, after that, his job is to be mildly fighty. And yeah, like you say, say snarky remarks. It's, it's a real misuse of Jamie. It's one of the few times I would say that's happened. 
Because I think Jamie's really good when when you give... If you're writing the script, you have to think of it from this perspective. If you give him a job to do that's separate from the main narrative, but that's very well linked and has obvious repercussions, then he's great in that situation because he's a he's a smart character who solves problems, who's resourceful and is funny enough to sort of take you there on your own. So you could have Jamie do his own thing if you wanted. But at the moment... Certainly in this story, Jamie feels like not even a companion of the Doctor, just sort of like the Doctor's third arm or his right finger. Just sort of, he's a part of the Doctor that is used and not thought about independently. Yeah, it it's a very weird use of Jamie this, this episode. I'm not mm. quite sure. Yeah, one of the few times, but, you know, Jamie's still a good character. Shall we shall we go into Double Troughton? I think it's worth talking yes. about Double Troughton because uh, we'll never do it again, I don't think. Shall we start off with the Doctor and then delve into... Yeah, let's start from the familiar ground and then go into whatever the hell we go into. I've got a bit of a weird controversial view here. Okay. At least for the first half, the Doctor doesn't seem to be doing anything either. No, he's there with this guy Kent, who is running the the base that they get taken to at the start, and he's sort of yeah, he's just sort of told to station in place while the story happens around him. And even then, up until I'm probably going to say the fourth episode, yeah, that's essentially what he does. And even then, we still have quite a lot more of him just hanging around doing things before we get more doctor doing stuff yeah the whole first half of the story is him disputing the evidence that this guy salamander is a bad guy because there isn't enough for the doctor to prove that he should act which has never been done before that's the weird thing like as i was saying before we've got loads of scenarios where we can see this not happening we've got we've got galaxy four we've got web of fear of web planet i've gone which one now which what, one's for weird and anti one? Oh yeah, that web, one. that's yeah, web planet. Web planet. We've got other scenarios as well where he's shown to just go in trusting the the wrong people straight away. Why is he suddenly so hung up so so hung up on it, which is spending the entirety of three stories, even four stories, mm. going, Oh, we don't quite have enough evidence yet. We don't quite have enough evidence yet. And like he goes towards the end. I knew you were going to turn... You, you just wanted him to die, so I was very suspicious of you about that. But he, we only know which... He only makes it public to the Doctor which she wants him de- to kill Salamander. Right at the end. Right at the end. So why why are we spending so long setting up, oh, I'm not sure if I trust him, I'm not sure if I trust him, because normally the Doctor just goes along with it. Yeah, it's a half... You can half justify it in hindsight by saying... Well, he thought he thought Kent was biased because he he goes through the whole reason why he doesn't like Salamander straight out. He's not he doesn't hide the fact that he has an obvious bias against him, and he seems a bit murderous. So he's going well. I want to stall for time and actually try and work this out before I do the bidding of a bad person. So you can you can make sense on that front, but it still doesn't justify the fact that for the first hour and a half of the two and a half hours of runtime this story takes up. It's Jamie and Victoria doing stuff along with Astrid, one of the... What is Astrid's job, actually? It's a good question. It's like a spy or an agent or something. 
I think she is essentially the deputy of person whose name I've forgotten. I've forgot the character what, the list Kent set guy up. Or the Bruce Kent guy. Kent guy. Oh, I, right. I think she is essentially his deputy. I think. Okay, so she's just sort of in charge of the base and securing yeah. things. That works. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, Astrid's doing a lot of stuff, but yeah, the Doctor sort of hangs around and it's only in the last hour when Doctor goes in and then we start getting fixes. Like, I sort of understand why they did it that way, but it's equally still annoying, essentially. Because yeah. I think to understand why they did it this way, you need to understand how Doctor Who films at this age, where it was essentially much like how it would have been done on stage, is one long continuous take with only like three or four cuts here and there. Mm. So obviously you can't have one continuous link where the Doctor needs to change out of his salamander outfit into the Doctor outfit. Yeah, exactly. Repeatedly. So there's only... And if you've only got like three cuts, you've only got like two sections of salamander and then you need Patrick to change again into the Doctor. So we only really get loads when the Doctor is dressed as both. So you can do yeah. a lot more bouncing forward. So technically, I can understand why it was done this way. From a production perspective, absolutely. But, but do you story-wise, like, it's still annoying. Do you feel like that, that justifies it being there, though? Because then you could maybe make the argument that they're trying to shoehorn the narrative to make that happen. And so they're just sort of going, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we had two trounds without thinking about, well, well, how would the episode work with two trounds? Would it still be a good story if you're limited in that regard? That is the view of a producer of Doctor Who at this time. The showrunner at this time later confessed, which that's what he felt he was doing. He was pushing for technology too far and purely doing it for the technical showcase of, oh, look, we can do this thing. He particularly took aim at, I think, episode three for this particular reason. Yes, because there's barely any Doctor in episode three. Because, like, and I do understand... It's not done because... I do like the story. I do like what they were going for. But equally, yes, the Doctor probably could have been more active if they had the technology or the time to do it better. Hmm. But but I tell you what, though, the fact is, it is still not a bad story. And the fact that the producer is, you know, comes out after the fact and admits that, that they overreached, it makes sense. Because I think it is, it's an admirable overreach. And they waste something. And at least they're overreaching in... A good way. And compared, a really fun way. And unlike like the Web Planet where they spent all that production time on like the sets and all the costumes and it just turned into one weird mess, which still makes no sense. At least this one here has some coherent sense and you can understand where they're going. So I think if we're looking at these two things of being production overreaches, at least this one here has a reason to exist other than going, look we can make ant people here's here's a quiz question can you remember what the ant people were called larvae larty zarbi zarbi i was close yeah you got the rhyme i was quite impressed that you sort of you had the the sibilance of it down i was close yeah you take that i'll give you half a point Thank i'm not going to do a proper full classic quiz i i sense that maybe Maybe at the end of Trout, we might do like a ridiculous Black Archive quiz with all little obscure things of <laughs> seven seasons of stuff. Shall we do that for our first year anniversary? 
instead of reviewing an episode, we, we, we do a fun quiz. And actually go over the last year. That works. When it, when is when would that go out? Like our first uh, anniversary time. Uh, it is for fourteenth of March. Yeah, that adds up. Can do. Yeah. So shall we talk about Salamander? Oh yes. Because I this did. really is fun. Uh, it is for most you can tell which Patrick Charleston's having fun with this. Exactly. Well, you have to think from his perspective, he's done a year of the same role at this point, pretty much. Yeah. So he's been in it now. You know, he's he, we're, we're pretty used to Trout on the podcast as well. So it, it's just nice to see him let loose into something that, that really is berserk. Because Salamander is like a proper cartoon character of a man. It, it, he is this sort of larger-than-life, mafia-don-style Mexican guy. It, it comes back to what I was saying earlier about how uh, that phrase really chewing up the scenery. It's it's astonishing. The, every time he's on screen in the Salamander, even if he's the doctor impersonating Salamander, which does happen, uh, you get this like hammy, but in a, in a good way, not in like the really cringy way. This hammy portrayal of a guy who's just totally out there, and it's a really it's very creative. It actually, I think, makes Salamander one of Maybe not the best villains, but one of the most entertaining. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's for well, the lead reason why this story is so interesting and so entertaining to sit down and watch mm. is because Patrick Troughton is obviously having so much fun, just going completely over the top and just having fun with it. And you can tell. Mm. I think also the writing of Salamander is actually pretty good. Yeah. His motivation is sort of the vague world domination thing, but okay, so is a lot of villains. Because he, he goes about it in unique ways. And yeah, that's that. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's the thing as well, isn't it? Because we were criticising them for going, for being overly critical about whether he is bad or not. But the thing is, the things which he is saying and things which he is doing, until we meet him personally, you do kind of sit there and think, is he bad? Mm. And then we then we meet him, and he's obviously the way he acts is quite slimy and quite evil. So we go, yeah, he is. But until we get to that point, we can actually like just purely looking at what he's doing. You do kind of sit there and think, oh yeah, no, he's quite good. Mm. He's this incredibly enigmatic figure. Everything around him is sort of a mystery. He he snaps at people to do stuff. That sort of person who wields a lot of power and perhaps doesn't or shouldn't have it. Um, yeah, I think we can we can start getting into like some elements of the story now and just talk about characters as and when they come up, I guess. But like the main thing about Salamander, like you say, is at the start, you question the people telling you about Salamander more than Salamander himself, which I like. Yeah. It's obviously hard because I had an idea what this story was about. Mm. So I knew which Salamander was bad. But trying to forget forget that element of me knowing what's going on you do kind of think, oh yeah, no, I can see, as a first time viewer not knowing anything about this story, I can see where they were getting it. Yeah, I think it's, well, the first episode has good action and it sets everything up really well. It's a really decent episode. You've got... Yeah, just to say with the first episode, it is one of, whatever you want to say about this story, that the first episode, for Doctor Who at least, 
that episode draws you in. It hooks you in. We've got the most amount of outside filming I've seen. So we've seen so far. Yeah, because they're on a it's beach. The most- They've got like helicopters out and hovercrafts. It's the most action-packed intro you've we've had so far. And it is. Do you reckon it's all on location, or do you reckon there's some inserts? Because I was thinking I could have seen a couple of studio inserts in there with painted backgrounds, but I might be wrong. I think most of it was obviously excluding for bits where they're inside buildings and things. I yeah. think most of it was done, particularly in that first episode, was done externally. And if not, it wasn't done in such a way to make it blindingly obvious, yeah. like what we saw in the Hartnell era. Yeah, where everything on location was like, look, we've actually done it. Look at us, we've gone out for a trip. Whereas now, on location filming is almost, I wouldn't say it's becoming normalised on Who, but it's its much more common. It's still, I think, being used as an exciting toy of, oh, look, we can do this. Mm. But it's becoming a lot less standoffy, standouty. Like, we're still only getting it in particular, like, special episodes because i yeah. don't think we saw anything of it last time round. no i think but we are still it's done creep 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 in creep in it reminds me of when um when the dark knight came out the the, the nolan batman movie and they filmed sequences in imax and there was this this big excitement about oh look they're filming in imax and now there are some movies that are filmed entirely uh in imax uh i think avengers endgame was like the first one that was filmed entirely in IMAX that was theatrical. But getting the excitement of that feeling that the screen's bigger or that there's more going on is great because having that happen on the beach gives you this sense of a world which you don't get as much of in the studio space. And they used it well, that the beach setting's really nice. Um, Yeah, it's a good action scene as well. I mean, Jamie nearly punches a man to death, but we can overlook it. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because... I mean, like looking at how we've got TV now, it's all the innovations we've got, relatively speaking, are so boring. Like, oh, look, we've got more pixels. Do you find, do you yeah. find that boring, though? I, I guess it's not like, it's not a revolution or anything, but I mean, some of the picture quality you get now, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, no, like it is excellent, but it's not as big or as revolutionary as going from purely in studio filming to then going outside Mm. for instance it's not in most extreme sense going from black and white to color we've got like these sudden breaks in innovation which you only get in the early stages i mean like if you look at your phone for instance Mm. the i the original iphone was this massively revolutionary thing and up until like i think like the iphone 5s 6s or 5 Mm. not 6 4s and 5 this all every time it's like these massive innovations and now it sort of just dives off into the small oh look we've changed this the shape of this notch and yeah they're just of, like minor upticks yeah and it's one of the things of, oh i would have loved to have been there when we we're actually innovating and making and struggling to work out how to do these new things mm. because they're so new like the outside filming well, and then the, later on with colour. It's the law of diminishing returns, isn't it? That, you know, if you figure out something, initially you'll see great big jumps because you haven't um, figured this out yet. But as you learn more about it, you recognise what the limits are. And then anything you can do to gain becomes much more marginal because everyone knows yeah. where the gains are. Yeah. Like, 
we've got colour. Like if you've got black and white TV, you can very easily go, let's add a colour to that. Mm. But now if you're say, looking at a colour TV, aside from more pixels, what massively can you add to it? I mean, they tried 3D, didn't they, on TVs like 10 years ago? <laughs> yeah. and That it, was a whole that... thing. Remember, you remember Sky 3D? God, it... 3D, even cinema now has died, 3D cinema. But... Oh, 3D was always going to die. Do you know why 3D dies? And this is like a genuine cinema opinion for me that's mildly nerdy. Okay. It's I've because... had my nerdy moment going on about it's... broadcast technology. You have yours. <laughs> it's fine. It's because, well, there's there's two main reasons I can think of. One, the problem with 3D technology is that in order to broadcast it on a cinema screen... What what you have to do is you have to lower the actual lumens coming from the projector. Yeah, that's always been an issue, isn't it? Is that when if you go to see 3D, it's always super dark. I think laser projectors might solve some of the problems. Yeah, laser projectors but, now. But certainly when 3D was coming out, I don't think the projectors were of a sufficient quality in many cinemas to really do it. Even then, not that many cinemas at least in the UK, from what I know, are 3D, uh, use lasers. So you still have got that massive reduction in lighting. That's what yeah. well, that's what like, James means by lumens. A lumens is for a measure of how much light is given out. So your light bulb in front of you will give out X amount number, of lumens, yeah. uh, which means how bright it is. Uh, yes, thanks for clarifying that, actually. Uh, and the second reason is actually really, really simple. People want people want 3d but people don't want the effort required to do yeah. 3d do you remember when they brought out the 3ds and they were like oh you don't have to use glasses it's going to be like all natural yes but it just gave everyone really bad headaches yes exactly <laughs> so, so everyone has decided well the most efficient way to do 3d is to do the 3d glasses and yeah okay the first maybe two or three 3d movies you go to you're like oh this is nice i've got my 3d glasses on and they'd run those special 3d designed adverts but quickly the gimmick fades off and you just think why am i wearing these glasses to watch a movie i could watch you, a movie normally bring this somewhat on on track yes. of doctor <laughs> who do you know about the episode of doctor who they did in 3d <laughs> oh enlighten me um do you know about when they did that really crap um children in need special which had that essentially all the doctors it used a special type of 3D, which name I have forgotten, but essentially it goes, which if you move the camera at constant speed and then you like use... Oh yeah, like, I know the one you're on about. Put something over your eye to darken it slightly. So say like yeah. if you've got some sunglasses and turned it up one way, uh, constantly move it, it turns it into 3D. Yeah, because this, this is the Tom Scott video goes into this. I yeah. know there's a Tom Scott video on this. Yeah, so... They essentially did that for for a terrible episode of Doctor Who. Well, we always innovate, don't we? Uh, yeah, yeah. A whole, they just, do you know what the other problem with 3D was? And then we will get back to this. Okay. Is that is that people like film directors when after Avatar happened and 3D was like seen as the thing because Avatar was big. It wasn't to do with it being 3D. It was just because people liked the movie. Uh, but anyway. A lot of film directors after that started going about like how they were designing movies for 3D and they were talking about, you know, we were looking at this for like the depth of the shot. And it's like, okay, but for the last hundred years, you are aware that we've been trying to create the illusion of 3D. So in order to create the illusion of 3D, you have to shoot for depth. Saying that you have shot this movie specifically to have 3D depth, 
sort of says that you can shoot an entire movie in flat. Yeah. Which nobody also, does. It's just really stupid. Also, also, let's be honest here before we do go on track. Just a quick point. 3D doesn't add much to, to media. No. Unless you're on about VR, in which case, yes, I admit it does that. But if you're looking oh, VR, at... Yeah, VR's a totally it, different space. At... at a f- at the end of the day, you can only see what's on your flat screen. Hmm. Do you ever think they'll make a... How long do you reckon it'll take before... And then we really will get back. How long do you reckon it'll take before they make a movie that's like a full feature movie, which is fully VR compatible? Because they've done shorts and things. I don't think it will happen. Ever? Because, because it's so hard to make those seamless cuts, which don't seem really unnatural. Mm. And you can't... I've got a real heads that James tried it for a bit. And as I think I pulled you out before you started feeling it, but as soon as you start doing any sort of movement in VR, yeah, disorienting, you get disorientated and you start feeling ill very quickly. So unless you're planning on doing a VR thing where your camera is literally just stationary. Yeah. I think that's the way you'd have to do it. That That's the only realistic way you can do it. Even, even if you say got a moving thing, if you look, look behind you, you'll see your cameraman moving on the trolley essentially. Mm. So I don't think it'll happen, but we need to get back on track. Yes. You need and to create new I, technology to make that happen. But anyway, so, so after the beach stuff, um, there's the whole thing where, where Kent, who's leading it, sets up the idea Salamander's a bad person. Anyway, the Doctor is coerced into doing this to some degree. Jamie, Victoria and Astrid, who is the initial person who gets them out of the beach on the helicopter, head over to the Central European Zone, because there are zones now in the world. It's in 2018, this story, which is funny from here. And yeah, they meet Salamander, and then essentially the next two episodes are in like political intrigue to some extent. Yeah, which is I think is one of the main reasons why I enjoy this episode is because it is just political intrigue, political plotting, and all of that elements until we get to the weird point later on, which we'll yeah. discuss for the last two episodes. It's not something we've really which, seen on Who, which. It's something which I actually sent you a message about while I was watching it and before you started watching it. I said, like, midway, at least that, like, midway through point, I think I've just in the middle of watching episode three. I sent you a message essentially going, like, I'm really enjoying this, but I don't know how much of that is me just generally liking political intrigue and how much of it is, or how much of this is a good Doctor Who story. Because yeah. of just thinking about, aside from there being a comedic character being the bad guy, as a child, would I find this interesting? Which I think is an interesting thing to think about, particularly with this story. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing to think about, I have to agree. Because I think it does work on its own as a story, but it's probably the least who things have felt for a while. And, and particularly those two episodes where it felt like, to be honest, the, the Doctor, Jamie and Victoria didn't really do much at all. Particularly the third episode, it just felt like the story was happening and it was almost like, oh, well, Trout and Salamander, so there's the Doctor. Well, of course, that's not the Doctor. Almost yeah. feels like a parallel universe. It it. it... It was definitely an enjoyable story, but then it kind of feels like 
I'm just going to skip ahead for the last two since I think we've largely covered. Yeah, should we talk about first. some of the characters that we actually meet though? Because apart from maybe yes. Salman Asher, we haven't really gone into some of the interesting political figures that we meet. Yes, let's 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 have a go. Yeah, one one person I really want to talk about is um, Salamander has this deputy guy who's sort of the enforcer. He's called Benick, and my god, he has got some hammy like trying it dialogue delivery like every scene with him is is a riot because he's just trying the most ridiculous line deliveries possible and also he's like the most stereotypical this era of tv look about Mm. him yeah he really does he's like the most like you've never for some reason i don't know what why but you'd never see someone who looks like him on modern day tv it's Mm. the most weird thing yeah, there's sort of a. I mean, we should say that this story is set in Australia and Hungary, and everyone has a perfect RP accent. Um, but yeah, Benek has this really interesting thing where he has he has no character other than the fact that he's there to be an asshole to everyone, which is fun because you don't he doesn't have to really do much else. You know, he's openly ready to kill people on the spot whenever he needs to. To a point where even Salamanders are going. Mate, chill out. Yeah, even Salman is like, yeah, there's no need for this. Uh, yeah, Benek is a guy who is absolutely off his nuts. Yeah. But at least it's some good scenes. There's um. Oh, there's God, Denesh. I've just realised something. What have you realized? We, never, we never see the aftermath of this, this entire story. But no, we kind of leave it midway. I can definitely see when Salamander goes, him just taking over. Mm. And him just becoming... The new salamander. Oh, he'd be but way even worse, worse, but he's also way stupider. But even worse, yeah. Problem is, it wouldn't oh, work God. well because he's too stupid. Yeah. Luckily, Bruce. I think Bruce. Shall we move on to Bruce quickly? Yeah, let's talk about Bruce because he's Bruce has this real redemption arc, which yeah. I wasn't expecting because he he is the most stereotypical head. He's the head of security, and he's the most stereotypical evil head of security. Mm. I'm on on about black. Black turtleneck, slicked back hair, yeah. balding hair, I think. As Reminds me of the uh, Macroterra guy. I can't remember his name now, even, but from I would that say sort of field. Even more Macroterra, the Macroterra, because he's massive, both in fat and height. <laughs> he's a big and, guy. And he's just like, if you picture an evil guy, evil head of security... You've got him essentially, and but he starts off being like this tough as nails. I'm going to do you in, but then he's mm. so as in the last two episodes, he starts coming around to seeing how the Doctor sees things, and it's such an interesting character arc which I wasn't expecting. I thought he was just yeah. going to be this really one note evil character, and we just didn't get that, which made me quite happy. No, he becomes more complex and layered. I think the reason I really wanted to talk about the side characters is that a lot of them get a lot to do. And they come out really well in a story like Astrid, for example, is one of the best female characters I've seen on Who. Yeah. She's really very good. She gets a lot to do. I think this is what happens when your companions and your doctor takes a side, essentially a back street for half the story. Mm. That your side characters and your villains just take them, go off and inform their own stories. And it's so interesting. And also, speaking about good representation as well, let's not forget about. Federin, Federin, uh, Federin. Are you on about Federin? Are you on about Faria though? If you're talking about representation, potentially. Or are you still on about? Yeah, you're on about um the woman. For, for taster, for taste, yeah, the taster. For yeah, taster. you're on about Faria. Yeah, because you initially think which is just going to be a standard, as we've seen in in this era of Doc, particularly this season of Doctor Who, Actually, Black yes. Save, 
blacks we've got a black slave like you initially go into it thinking oh god take it doesn't not another one yeah but then but then she ends up having more backstory behind it we realize which she doesn't want to be there she's being blackmailed she's got Mm. evidence against this against salamander she's then killed but it's really good turning point from what i was expecting she gets she gets an arc i think that's the important thing to say is that she 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 finds the bravery to turn because i think before she wanted to but the blackmail was hanging too much over her head where she felt like she couldn't but then as she realized more and more and sees jamie and victoria who are willing to do this and that i think that's what gives her the strength to do it her i thought her death was kind of mishandled i thought because there's this utterly bizarre line in the script where she's she's been shot by Benick running because Benick is an absolute killing machine and then there's this the police so you know he, he's like the, the other police guy looks at Benick and he's like what are you doing like I know we have orders but why do you have to actually follow them uh, yeah um, that, that for me was weird when like cause it, for the person who says that's the captain of for security essentially said to one of his officers do you always follow orders I'm like isn't that kind of why you employ him? Yeah, it's truly bizarre. And then also there's an even weirder line where he's kind of like, like she is dying in this guy's arms, we should point out. And he's like, well, really, you should have stopped. <laughs> it's like, that is some bad timing, mate. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's... She it's shouldn't be weird... killed at all. <laughs> it it was a weird... It was a weird death, which said him. At the time, it like brought back up again. I think it dealt with better when it gets brought back up again. But they're mm. in for there and now. It goes over very quickly. Yeah, and I think I think because this happens in episode four, and this is definitely where um, the story takes a bit of a turn for the for the mad. Yeah, I think my my segue for this when we were talking about it earlier was like we've had this sort of non Doctor Who first half. And it kind of feels like it was sort of like storing, bubbling up all of the Doctor Who-ness. <laughs> Doctor Who-ness is just like bubbling up in, in this in this bottle of pop. And then in the last half an hour, we just open up the lid and it just all goes fizzing everywhere. And we all, it just goes chaotically weird. Doctor, really overly Doctor Who-y. Yeah, this, this story in episode four lets the cork out and it flies so fast that it probably takes someone's eye out. Yeah, it, at, it goes weird. So... So, so Salamander, Salamander's plan, I think, is the important thing to note here as to why this goes weird. So Salamander's plan is to engineer natural disasters that the that he that stop food production, which he then solves and looks good. But the whole uh, question give, is, well, how does this happen? And gives like far in advance warning notice of, oh, there's going to be a volcano explosion. Well, hey, yeah. So oh, how also, does a man? Fun fact about that volcano explosion. Yes. Same stock footage which is used in a James Bond film. Is it right? Oh, it is. Is it? Ah, I don't think which one it would be in at this time. Is it one of the Connery ones? Must be like... Um, I, I can't remember that much. I just know it was one of the James Bond films. I'm think which one it would be now. Um, nah, I don't, it wouldn't be on Her Majesty's Secret Service, I don't think. That's slightly too late. But anyway, as... James thinks about this. And it's and not then, Connery, it's George Lazenby. But yeah, his his plan is essentially, he's doing all this stuff because he's got, essentially trapped some scientists. 
in an underground lab telling them which there's been a na- natural disaster there's been a nuclear war so we're keeping you under underground to keep you safe and i'm up up here killing myself scavenging for food because i'm your savior and and you just kind of sat there going you uh-huh. what, mate? You yeah, what like, mate? when you hear because the whole thing is like well how does he know this and it kind of gets dropped because there's other things going on so you don't really think about it and then it's it's treated as if it's the most routine thing. Because Salamander puts on a, a hazmat suit, gets down this big lift, goes down there really, really quickly. Um, and I like the way that the shot's cut, so it goes from massive movement in stock footage to absolutely dead still in the space of one frame. Um, he then gets out, opens the door, and would you believe it? He's 10 Cloverfield Lane to 30 people. And... And this whole time he's saying to his, his staff on the surface, oh, I'm just going to go down to my records room so I <laughs> yeah. can't be disturbed. So I'm, I'm there thinking, oh, okay, he's just going to go... Because at this point he's just found out which... I've completely forgotten her name again. Astrid? No. Taster person. Oh, Faria. Faria has stolen some documents. So I thought, oh, you know what? He's going to go back into his record store. Yeah. And check it out, do a bit of studying, do a bit of work, see how he could adapt it to make it seem like someone else's death was more natural, etc., etc. But oh no, he's just got humans trapped in a pipe. <laughs> the, the thing that's funny about it is that you say that and I think, well, that's a much more plausible because if he's checking his records or something, then okay, that works for the narrative. But even he could have like a, in his record room have secret machines that were doing stuff. I mean, it's the future, so you can get away with this kind of stuff. It's Doctor Who. You're allowed to have an earthquake machine. We would yeah. kind of go with that. Instead, he just opens the door. And and there they are. And no, they haven't been there for a week. And they think it's a war. They've been there for five years. Yeah. So so he's down what? there. He's he's bringing them food, which he's scavenged in their eyes. So he's got it catered for them from the yeah. research facility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and one for guys that's uh, bringing off a box, there's no just, can I say, it's the worst way to, for worst cock up if you're trying to hide to people which the world is destroyed. Mm. I accidentally left a newspaper clipping for like two years ago, just on the box for no apparent reason, going on yes. like cruise liners. Uh, and you just sat there going, first of all, this is very contrived. Second of all, why would you have a, hol- why would you have a newspaper clipping of holiday liners? Like, what, uh, what, what, how's that relevant? There was some disruption or something along those lines. So they essentially realise which, Wait, what? No, you, you, you're lying to me. That's holiday liners. And he goes, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. They're all mutated. They're horrible people now. Who still have time to go on holiday liners? Yeah, well, you have to remember that, um, that cruise ships can get mutated. I mean, you remember at the start of the pandemic when they had the cruise ships and then there would be one case and they'd lock it down so they had to stay on the cruise ship? Yes. Now that is what we're talking about because those, those ghost cruises lasted for a lot longer. Obviously not ideally. But potentially, you know, there is an example for this. Um, but yeah, no. And then the Swan, the leader person, gets taken up. Samanda kills him, etc., etc. Astrid finds uh, him, and there's this Ast- sort of romantic scene of him saying, "You know, discover the secret." Yeah, the secret's discovered. The Doctor plots his way in. And really, conf- and then he has a confrontation with Kent. Which, yeah, to be honest, twist now conf- is Kent. Yeah, 
I thought which he, Kent was having a conversation with Salamander, but no, twist, which it's actually the worked. All along. It actually worked as well, yeah, because I, I generally thought which was having a conversation with Salamander. Which... Well, it, well, it's good that they deployed the twist. Well, they do it twice, don't they? Because um, Salamander sort of walks in. I mean, I know he's with Bruce when when he walks into Jamie and Victoria and starts being Salamandry with them. So I think that that work doesn't work as well because we know that from the previous scene. Yeah. But in this one, it's totally blind and it really works. And now that they use the twist, you realise that they've maximised the potential of the gimmick because you could use it in a gimmicky way and not really add much to the story, but they make it narratively make sense, which is good. Yeah, like there's there's only one scene where they're actually having a standoff together and that's right at the end. So I... I generally, this is the thing where we were on about that for the very beginning of this podcast. Was this overly gimmicky? Did they do it just for the sake of doing it? I think that's part of it, but mm. I also think they had an idea for a good story, which I think this is. I think it's solid, but it's just <laughs> it's just bits of it go mental in this last section. Um, I do want to mention, and I think then we can start summing this up. I do want to mention a couple of the characters we meet in the bunker. Because there's there's one in particular I'd like to speak about. Colin mm-hmm. is someone we meet, and this guy I have never seen a man want to get to the surface as much as he does. His whole yeah. plot is just get me to the surface in this outstandingly like British aristocrat voice. Yes, he... <laughs> I must get to the surface. Yes, essentially, there's thirty people down there. They're all. Essentially content. I don't think happy would be the right word to say, but well, they're all content they with their they're existence. They think they're happy because they're the only few people alive yeah. in the irradiation of nuclear but, war. But Colin is starting to realise which something here does not add up. Mm. So he, he essentially pushes constantly. And then Sarah's his, his girlfriend. I thought, it was, I thought she was called Mary. Mary. Checking. Yep, she is. She, oh, is. she is called okay. Mary. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, Mary's her, his partner mary's like long-suffering wife 101 she just goes oh colin calm down what you're on about Um, god bless mary she might i might give her best side character just because she's just had a hard run of it um yeah and then we have the standoff where we find out which kent it turns out is also evil but so is salamander yeah, because they were kind of like business partners, is is the vibe I got. Yeah, they're, they're like partners in crime, which then went nasty, essentially. And Salamander turned on him and discredited him. Yeah. It's also confirmed that Kent was part of the plan to... And this is brilliant. So he's part of the plan to put all the 30 people in the colony, which how that adds, you know, how that makes sense, I have no idea still. Just invent some machines. But the fact is, they, they basically fooled them in there and said it was for an endurance test. That's yeah. ironic. They're, they're still going. Yeah, it, it's such a weird excuse to send people down to a cave. Oh, yeah, no, you're going down to this cave for an endurance test. Don't question it. And then Sandlander comes in like an hour later and goes, oh, an incredible coincidence. The entire world got nuked while you we were away. Yeah, it's such a weird twist. Everyone that just weird. bought it. They were like, yeah. oh, God, they must have fellow man I've never met before. It's, that That's a weird twist that makes no sense. But I think the other twists, like Kent being somehow in, being the initial business partner and just wanting yeah, to power all along. Twist. If, and the twist of it being doc, the Doctor, not Salamander, in that confrontation is a good twist. It's then, the issue is, is that once we go past that twist, that's essentially where the story ends. We end with Salamander 
conning his way in the TARDIS and Jamie some reason believing it. Mm. And then we knock him out of the TARDIS. Yeah, you know, Patrick, our Patrick arrives, gets him out, and he's thrown into the time vortex where he is left to die. That's the last shot. A man whoop, whoop. being ripped apart by time, which I suppose is us recording podcasts a month in advance. Yes. So, after all of that, James, what do you think? Uh, I, you know what, I think now we've spoken about it, I've, I've, I've appreciated more of the elements. Because there are some good elements and good twists, but, but at the same time... Companions don't get used very well. There's a lot of episodes which are still quite slow and you don't feel you're with the core team. And I think that the main issue is that I'm still not sure whether it's a Doctor Who story. Truly. Yeah, that, that's the issue, isn't it? It's, it? it's too reserved in that first half. And then the second half, it just it goes back goes shit. It too much. It goes so back shit crazy. And just goes... Yeah. But overall, overall I think it's good. What, what do you think? I, I really enjoyed it, but I don't... As I said earlier, I don't know how much of that is me just liking political plotting as a story and how much of it is as Doctor Who stories. I'm probably, if we're talking about ranking it, probably around a six or a seven. I, I was going to go, I was pretty much in that wheelhouse. I'm going to go six uh, because I'm not sure whether it's a Who story too much, but it's good on its own uh, and was a good watch. And considering it's a six-parter, it never felt aggressively slow like parts of Ice Warriors did. Yeah, it never felt like an entire episode had no reason of being. Like some of some of the other things, all the plot points were used effectively, even if they were slightly questionable. Yeah, like I've but, got issues with three because there's not really a lot that the core team does, but there was still stuff happening that kept your interest. Yeah, this this weirdly is like a Doctor and Companion light story. <laughs> it's just everything lies. Let's just meet these people. It's a it, new show. Which... To be honest, in a bizarre way, it was really refreshing. Yes, actually, because there were really good side characters. I thought Astrid was great. I thought Faria was great, although she didn't have a lot of screen time. Um, Bruce is pretty good. Kent's kind of a believable villain. D- Mary, long-suffering Mary, God bless you. And it, Colin, the aristocrat. It's one of those stories which very easily could have collapsed under its own weight. And it, somehow, up. and it somehow doesn't despite all the technical issues it could have had the fact which you're due to those technical limitations you can't have your main character on screen that much <laughs> it somehow still worked and was still enjoyable i think i think it's respectable that patrick Chatham walked on to the walked into the offices one day and said you know what the only way you're going to keep me for another series is if i don't play the doctor for this one time yeah i enjoyed it can we have yeah. can we have the Doctor play more evil characters more often? Because it's actually quite fun. Like, I think there's a possibility. Imagine if some of the more frequent Doctors played evil versions of themselves. Maybe maybe we'll find it soon. Yeah. Maybe evil anyway. Jody in the specials. Or anyway. evil Dan. Thank you very much for listening to this jumbled mess. If if you like jumbled messes and want to know where you can get more, then you can subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, whether that's Apple, Amazon, Spotify, wherever you're listening to, subscribe there, and you'll be the first to know when we upload, which is usually on a Monday. Yes, and if you want to get involved, get in touch, tell us how you felt about this episode. Feel free to tweet us Black Archive Pod. Our account is at Black Archive Pod. Yep. Or you can email us, blackarchivepod at gmail.com. 
Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, coming up next, I think it's Web of Fear. Is that going to be our next one? Yes, it is. Web of Fear on the 31st, if our upload schedule has managed to be kept. <laughs> if it's consistent and we haven't um, all died of Omicron or something by then. Yeah. Or if we get suddenly get kept underground to to create some natural disasters. For around five years, and then we have yeah. one man who gets us food. Yeah, which would be an odd occurrence, but believable. Sounds like my relationship with Deliveroo. Anyway, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>